0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B Y T E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
1: And welcome to the water cooler, everybody. Thanks for joining us. I'm David Brody. It's Thursday, May 27, 2021. We begin with this question What did Joe Biden know, and when did he know it when it comes to a Trump administration investigation? to whether the coronavirus came from the Wuhan Institute of Virology Lab. Now, new reporting says the Biden administration stopped the investigation. The State Department denies that. Now, Biden has ordered a closer review of what happened in the lab. So we're going to get to that. There's a lot of confusion here coming from the Biden administration. What is the exact tick tock on all of this? You know, Ricky Ricardo used to say this to Lucy. Lucy, you have some splaining to do. Well, Ricky Ricardo in America do want answers. Plus, January sixth, an awful day in American history. Democrats want an official commission to investigate what happened. Senate Republicans are rejecting it as a political stunt. We will delve deeper, and a bunch of GOP senators out today with yet another counterproposal on an infrastructure bill. The trillion-dollar soap opera continues. Republicans offering about one trillion. Biden and company want 1.7 trillion. So what's going to happen? There really hasn't been this much excitement since the days of my bar mitzvah. But first, the Wuhan lab and COVID-19. Folks, remember a year ago when the media giggled with sarcastic and conceited delight about the idea that the coronavirus may have escaped from the lab lab in Wuhan. Well, look, folks, the joke may be on them. The 45th president of the United States, Donald Trump, actually called this about a year ago. We played this yesterday. We're gonna play it again in case you missed it. Here's Trump from one year ago.
2: Have you seen anything at this point that gives you a high degree of confidence that the Wuhan Institute of Virology was the origin of this virus? Yes, I have. Yes, I have. And I think that
3: the World Health Organization should be ashamed of themselves because they're like the public relations agency for China.
1: Well, look, Trump's critics mocked, they laughed when he said it, and yet here we are, the Biden administration now fully launching an investigation into this Wuhan lab theory after credible reports showing potentially ample evidence that this could be the case. Joining me now in studio to discuss all of this and a whole lot more, the former Chief of Staff to Vice President Mike Pence, Mark Short. Mark, good to see you again, David, sir.
4: Thanks so much for having me. Congrats on all your success with the new show.
1: Oh, I appreciate it, sir. Well, let's get into the Wuhan lab situation here. Uh, the, the, there are reports the Biden administration stopped this Trump investigation. I guess we're going to need to know more about this. What, what's your sense of what's happening right now in all of
4: this? Well, David, I think there's a lot of unanswered questions that mm-hmm. do need to be investigated. And uh, the Trump, administration was right to try to to pursue that. At the time, when we were meeting at the task force level, there was a lot of conflicting intelligence. And uh, the intelligence community really said, we don't know. And so we do want to investigate this further. I think a lot of the doctors inside uh, government offices were probably more Committed that they bl- believed it came from wet markets and the theory that it came from bats, and uh, mm-hmm. um, and they I think were more trying to protect the notion of partnership potentially on research. Mm-hmm. But I think that there is a lot of unanswered questions, and there's no doubt that that China has mishandled this in so many ways, not just from from potentially it coming out of the Wuhan uh, laboratories, but also if you remember even when China knew how deadly this virus was, they were continuing to encourage travel out of China. They were not restricting travel out of their country. And I think that whatever investigation happens at a World Health Organization, anywhere else, also needs to question when did Chinese officials know this and why were they continuing to allow international travel outside of China, allowing the virus to spread so rapidly?
1: That's a good point. Uh, uh, Anthony Fauci's been under a lot of criticism. Uh, My sense is he's a good guy, uh, but What were some of those conversations within the White House about this Wuhan lab theory? Because he wasn't pushing this at all, right? I mean, he he wasn't there on this a year ago or or even since then.
4: No, I I have a lot of admiration and respect for Tony. And, And the reality is when people inside the White House ended up getting the virus, he often showed a lot of personal affection and would call people to making sure they were okay daily. And I know he did that when I contracted the virus. At the same time, though, Tony was one of the ones who certainly was most committed to saying that he felt definitively that the virus came from the wet markets in China. And he was very adamant saying that this was not manufactured. It was a nationally incurred virus and that it did not come out of the lab. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think that uh, perhaps uh, that there were far more unanswered questions that need to be researched into that question.
1: When you're saying that, you're saying that in some of the meetings, this coronavirus task Inside force? Inside task
4: we're... force, we would often discuss this question. Mm-hmm. And again, we felt that there was enough ambiguity and uncertainty that this needs to be investigated. It seems kind of... Uh, questionable that the Wuhan lab would be exactly in the same location this virus came from right I mean it would just mm-hmm. logic would make you say whether it was intentionally weaponized or whether it was accidentally released from the lab mm-hmm. that there's a great is a great possibility that that's where it came from right. but there were certainly some uh, doctors including Dr. Fauci who was more convinced that it just came from the wet labs and was a more of an innocent creation
1: very interesting I want to turn real quick to what's happening in Israel uh, Now, we know from Secretary of State Blinken that they're going to open this consulate in Jerusalem. People might be a little confused as to, wait, hold on, there's an embassy in Jerusalem, so this is a consulate. What's the political ramification or implication by opening a consulate like this? There's the uh, the headline, U.S. to reopen Jerusalem consulate to engage with Palestinians. is this concerning to you at all?
4: It is concerning. I would encourage your viewers to look at the op-ed that David Friedman, our ambassador, wrote recently where he gives the history that recalls that the consul was opened during the Ottoman Empire when its purpose was to bring Jews back to Jerusalem. And what now, this perverted notion of what the consul is doing now, representing specifically Palestinians, when our embassy there should be representing all all face which it does. And when we moved the embassy to Jerusalem, I recall at the time, a lot of people from the State Department uh, warning the president that apocalypse would happen. And he said, no, I'm committed to doing this. It's what we promised that's to right. do. And he stood by his decision to do it. And that's where embassy should be. There's not a need for a separate consulate that specifically, as the Biden administration is saying, will be representing the Palestinian nation. That's what our embassy there in Jerusalem represents all the people in that region. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, David, it's, it's a bigger, question about where the Biden administration is going in their policies in the Middle East. Because right. it, it think when I mean, we see what, what's happened with the Trump administration's policies toward Iran, it created peace in the Middle East because we took on Iran. If all of a sudden you're now renegotiating with those terrorists who essentially took American money from the Obama administration that was used, we know, to fund assassinations of other Westerners in the Midwest. That's what American dollars were used for when the, when the ballots of cash were sent to Iran. And we're now renegotiating with the Iranians. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that there's a lot to be concerned about. And I think that opening a consulate specifically for the Palestinians when we have an embassy in Jerusalem mm-hmm. is the wrong move.
1: Yeah, it's been a 180 for sure. Um, I, I want to turn real quick. I've got a couple of minutes left. The January 6th commission vote in the Senate. Uh, Democrats say to the Republicans, what are you hiding? Why, why do you not want to vote against this? The Republicans say it's politics. What's your sense of this January 6th commission vote?
4: I think the most important thing that's lost in this debate right now is there's nothing limiting House oversight committees from doing their own investigations and Senate committees from doing their own investigations. Mm-hmm. This is almost like it's a red herring that there has to be a January 6th commission or therefore no one will ever get to the truth. Mm-hmm. There's nobody limiting investigations from the House and Senate into what happened on January 6th or why Capitol Police were not better prepared mm-hmm. um, to protect the Capitol at that time. So, mm-hmm. Uh, there seems to be a, a lot of politics around the question of whether or not there's a commission when in fact there's plenty of opportunities for Congress to continue to investigate. They this. can
1: do this at the committee. level. Yeah. Of course. Um, all right. Uh, Mike Pence. I uh, want to check in on how he's doing. You're very close to him. So give us kind of an update on Mike Pence. We know what he's doing. But but how is he. Uh, let's just say it, post-January 6th, uh, you know, there's been, in, in the ruby-red MAGA portion, there's some folks that are clearly still frustrated with, with the vice president. Uh, not all MAGA folks, but some of the ruby-red. So so how is he handling that, and wh- how, what, what are some of those conversations like?
4: Well, I think the vice president's doing great. He, uh, he recently became a granddad for the first time. Nice. He and uh, Mrs. Pence moved back to Indiana, which he was excited to do, and have their dream home uh, there. And uh, I think that uh, he's looking forward to continuing to be active in the debate moving forward, I think he cherishes the partnership he had with the president and all the great things that they accomplished together for the American people. And I think that the vast majority of uh, the followers of the president um, still support the vice president and know all the, the great things that, that he did. I think the vice president had a responsibility on the 6th to follow the Constitution, and that's what he did.
1: Yeah. How do you characterize the relationship between him and? Uh Former President Trump. They've rallied.
4: had an opportunity to speak on several occasions and mm-hmm. uh, the vice the president most recently congratulated him on becoming a granddad when he when he gave him a call recently.
1: Cordial? Yeah. Okay. I just wanted to I, I wanted to read it in the New York Times. I wanted to ask you <laughs> about it instead. Uh, as we wrap up, let, about thirty seconds or so, these Trump rallies are gonna start up again in June. Some Republicans are concerned that that might uh, distract a little bit from uh, this message of pounding Biden's administration and a lot of the policies here. What's, what's your take on, on the Trump? I, rallies? I think
4: that the president should have a voice and uh, and should be heard. I think he's an important voice. But having said that, David, I also think that Republicans should be moving on to debating the Biden administration policies. And I think right now there's so much internal strife amongst the party. I think that benefits the Biden administration from getting some of these most radical liberal things accomplished because the Republicans are not united right now in their opposition, we're still fighting with each other. So mm-hmm. if Republicans can be focused on a massive tax increase that the Biden administration is proposing, or what it's proposing to do in Israel, yeah. what it's proposing to do on, on so many fronts that are radical departures from where the Trump-Pence administration was, I think that's a better use of Republicans' uh, um, efforts.
1: As John Lovett and Sarah Night Live said, that's the ticket. That's the ticket. <laughs> all right.
4: Thanks. Mark Short, great to have you. Here. David, thanks for having
1: me. All right. Appreciate it. When we come back, Teresa Mold, the editor of Gunpowder Magazine. Gunpowder Magazine, you know what we're talking about. Constitutional carry in Texas. Back in a moment.
5: Man, that sunset is gorgeous.
3: Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time.
1: Cooler, everybody. We have a substantial development when it comes to the Second Amendment. Uh, by the way, it has nothing to do with Joe Biden actually being for the Second Amendment. Now, that would be substantial. <laughs> Thank you very much. We do comedy and analysis here at the uh, Water Cooler. No, the headline is this. Uh, the Just the News headline says this, and I just read headlines. That's all I do as an anchor. Texas set to allow residents to carry handguns without a license. Oh, hey, constitutional carry. That's what we're talking about with our next guest. You know her. She's on the show often. We love her. Teresa Moll, editor of Gunpowder Magazine. Teresa, great to have you back on the show.
0: Great to be back. I love you guys, too.
1: Oh, that's great. So the love flowing both ways, that's always good. Okay, so uh, you've got to love this constitutional carry situation in in Texas. The governor, Governor Abbott, is going to sign this thing, and it's going to be law. This is a big deal.
0: It is a big deal. Uh, Constitutional carry is aptly named. It is the gun policy that ensures that law-abiding Americans have the right to keep and bear arms and exercise their Second Amendment rights without first asking the government permission to do so. So it embraces the Second Amendment as the Constitution intended. And this is a huge victory for Texas, obviously a really big state, uh, the second most populated state in the country. But Texas is actually a little late to the game. They've been trying to pass constitutional carry there for a few years now. And um, while this is worth celebrating, we must remember that this is a restoration of rights that we should have had all along. We shouldn't have to pass constitutional carry. Uh, we've had our rights stripped away and this is restoring them, but it's still really good news. And Texas is joining either 20, I think, or maybe 21 states who already have constitutional carry on the books, and it's a winning policy. You know, we've seen this momentum. We've seen, I think, five states this year already adopt constitutional carry, and that's because it's a policy that works. It's a policy that makes uh, gun owners and law-abiding Americans happy, and we know that there's a growing number of gun owners in this country, so this is great. This is great timing for Texas, and Texas being such a large state, it's gonna really Uh, you know, pave the way and serve as an example for the rest of the country and hopefully for the rest of the world.
1: Teresa, uh, respond to the critics who say this would be dangerous. You know, the critics that don't really understand uh even the concept of constitutional carry but but they're gonna say oh wait a minute hold on now now everybody uh, there's no background checks there's no anybody can just get get a gun and and it's like the wild west and you got the liberal critics out there will say this is very dangerous but my understanding is and you can tell me more about this but i'm looking at research to show that like vermont and many of these other states that have it uh, they actually haven't had problems as it relates to statistics in this area
0: Exactly true. Yeah, you mentioned the outrage uh, from people who don't understand this legislation, and I think that's really what it comes down to. I saw that even the BBC was covering this. They're kind of acting shocked and surprised. Like you said, they think that Texas is some wild west state that's just letting cowboys walk around shooting stuff like an old John Wayne movie or something. But as I said, there's already 20 states that have this policy in place and have had for years. You look at places like Arizona, uh, they've had constitutional carry on the books for at at least a decade. And there we've actually seen, even though it's not required, we've seen training, people seeking training for firearms double since constitutional carry took place. People realized they were able to carry without jumping through all these hoops and they decided they wanted to do it and they wanted to do it responsibly. The three safest states in America, Maine, New Hampshire and Bernie Sanders, home state of Vermont, as you mentioned, all have constitutional carry and they're the safest states. And by contrast, the most dangerous places in America, Baltimore, Chicago, L.A., these are all places that have strict gun control right. and are also... No, for
1: absolutely. And I'm glad you brought that up there at the end to see the juxtaposition.
0: Uh, listen, I want to
1: ask you a little bit about... we And you, we had you on the show before about uh, Joe Biden's uh, ATF nominee, uh, David Chipman. Uh, Ted Cruz uh, questioned him the other day, this past week, about... This uh, ban on the AR 15 rifle because he wants to, he supports a ban on the rifle. I want you to listen to this and I want to get your reaction to what he said. He, here's Ted Cruz uh, talking to him the other day on the Senate committee.
6: Mr. Chipman, a minute ago, uh, Senator Whitehouse asked you if any of your views on guns are out of step with the majority of the American people. Um, the AR 15 is one of, if not the most popular rifle in America, it's not a machine gun. It's a rifle. Uh, your public position is that you want to ban AR-15s. Is that correct?
1: Senator, uh, thank you for the question, and thank you for our visit yesterday and offering me a Dr. Pepper. It made me reminisce about my time in Central Texas. But now to your uh, question. Uh, with respect to the AR-15, uh, I support a, a, a ban as, um, as has been presented um, in uh, a Senate bill. Uh, and supported by the president. Um, The AR-15 is a gun I was issued on ATF's SWAT team, and it's a particularly lethal weapon, um, and regulating it as other particularly lethal weapons um, I have advocated for. Um, As ATF director, if I'm confirmed, I would simply enforce the laws and the books, and right now um, there is no such uh, ban on those guns.
6: So you want to ban the most popular rifle in America?
1: react that, uh theresa
0: yeah well i simply don't believe him that he would simply enforce the laws that are already on the book he's on the books he's made it clear that he wants to reclassify several weapons he has said in the past that he wants to reclassify ar-15s as machine guns which would um, basically outlaw them this is as the senator said the most popular firearm in america and by reclassifying it that's uh it's a tricky way of making a law uh, without going through the legislature. So he would reclassify these weapons to effectively outlaw them and ban them. So by enforcing them, as he promises, I'll just enforce the law. He can enforce them in this tricky way by reclassifying and, yeah. you know, skirt the democratic.
1: I've got thirty seconds or so. but I can't. I have to ask you with the San Jose shooting, yet another mass shooting. Uh, this time, though, in California, those handguns were purchased legally. I mean, that's that those semi, semi-automatic handguns that he used, it, the shooter did. They were legal, technically.
0: Yeah. So there's a lot we still don't know about this shooting, but what we do know is that it took place in California, which has some of the strictest gun control laws in America. So that gun control failed. The background check system failed. We don't know if he passed a background check or not. If he did pass it, clearly it didn't stop him from killing all these people. And if he didn't pass one or he uh, acquired his guns another way, he still wasn't pa- he's, he still wasn't prevented through background check system. Uh, what's more, it's likely this took place in a gun-free zone where right. 98% shootings take place. And um, the only thing that stopped him was confrontation with an armed law enforcement officer. And that's what stops all of these uh, mass yep. shootings. It's either someone armed from some law enforcement or an armed citizen.
1: Teresa Ball, editor of Gunpowder Magazine, got to run. Fantastic. Thanks for being here. Thank you. All right. Uh, we're back in a moment with the former governor of Tennessee. New book out. Back in a moment. Welcome back to The Water Cooler, everybody. Uh, Look, folks, it's it's needless. It doesn't take a rocket science to figure out that our country is the most politically divided it has been in ages. We live in a time where it's important to lean on our faith now more than ever if we really want to unite our nation. So I want to bring in former two-term governor of Tennessee and author, of Faithful Presence, the Promise and the Peril of Faith in the Public Square, Bill Haslam, uh, who explores all of this in the new book. Governor, great to see you, Great to, or great yeah. to hear from you, I should say. <laughs>
6: Thanks. Uh, thanks. It's great to be on the show. Sorry, we have a little technical issue here with the video, but like I said, uh, I might have a face that's better for audio only.
1: So well, that might that, that might make two of us, by the way. Uh, but listen, <laughs> Go- Governor, tell us about the book. Uh, uh, an important book in an important time in Americans America's history.
6: Yeah. Thanks. I mean, like you said, it's no secret we're divided, and we're but we're divided and we're mad about it, and we think the other side is not just wrong, but wrong for the wrong reasons, and. I think the net result of that, a lot of folks are just uh, exhausted uh, and frustrated by politics as it is today. And what I'm proposing is that people of faith might, instead of being part of the problem in this solution, actually be part of the answer uh, because none of us wanna just abandon the public square uh, to the people who are only there for po- political reasons.
1: Uh, talk to us a little bit about what that answer uh, is exactly. What, what's kind of the key to all of this? There are certain linchpins. I know you go through at least three of them. Well, there's a lot of linchpins, but there's three key ones. I know you go through.
6: Yeah, I, I mean, I think it, it begins. It begins with realizing how that all of this stuff matters. We can't just. Uh, we can't just uh, swear off the public square and mm-hmm. say a pocket on both of your houses. And I know most of your listeners wouldn't do that anyway. Second thing is to realize um, we should enter that public square with humility. You know, I, I've, I've made about 15 mistakes in the last hour. Okay, so <laughs> I also have to realize that I don't have it. Uh, I don't have all the answers. I don't have the the perfect solution myself. And the third, a third piece is to say, listen, if we really feel like we're called to the public square, uh, to, to serve to serve the public good, then we should also realize that uh, our goal is not to 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 make certain everyone gets to our answer. Our goal is to get to the best answer. And I think if you look at those folks who have led us well over uh, over the past time, there are people who said, How do I get to the best answer, not how do i uh, how do I how do I tell the other people why they're wrong and why they should come come to my side'
1: Yeah, and this idea of uh, telling people they're wrong and should come to my side uh, kind of encompasses what you talk about in the book, this angry spirit. A- and I'm wondering if you can kind of expand on that angry spirit, because unfortunately, our politics and it's not just our politics, but our conversations with family members and and even those that uh, we don't even know are filled with uh, this angry spirit. Yeah, no, no
6: your question. And, and so, really what I'd ask if people say, well, a lot of people say, well, that's right, because the stakes are so high and so Bill, you sound like you're trying to get all mushy on us. And I'm not that, I'm just saying, I, here's my argument. Have you ever had your mind changed by someone who yelled at you or somebody who had a, uh, a clever tweet at you or who had a great response and put down to you? And my, my bet is no, that's not how you, people are persuaded to change their mind. And right now we have a country that's evenly divided. And if so if you would like to see your arguments move ahead, I would suggest you do that in a way that persuades folks uh, by making a great argument rather than uh, by telling them uh, uh, how wrong they are.
1: now it's it's a good point. I, I think the concern, obviously, is you mentioned the stakes are high. You know, another way of saying that is is this idea that there's so much riding uh, on what's happening today, especially because it seems like as Robert Bork said back in the day, we're slouching toward Gomorrah, uh, that there is a culture that is clearly out of control, the wokeness is out of control. So, so what do you do to, to not compromise your principles, but at the same time try to strike common ground? That, that's not easy.
6: No, it's not, and that's a great question. Um, so I'd say, I, here, here's my summary is, you should be firm on the inside and soft on the outside. In mm. other words, firm on your convictions, but uh, but open and listening to folks on the other side. You know, uh, uh, in, in the New Testament, D- James says, wisdom that's from above is, it's pure. It's peaceable. It's open to reason. It's full of mercy and good fruits. It's impartial and it's sincere. So I think if people look at us and say, "You know, I don't really agree with him or her, but I, I do think they're sincere, and I do think they're trying to find the best answer," honestly, think we would do more at changing opinions than than folks than than, than what we're doing now. Here's the other thing I'd say: is this, everybody sees the culture changing around us. Everybody feels like. You know, in, in Bork's words, we're slouching toward Gamora. But the wrong thing to do is to react out of fear. You know, fear-motivated behavior never turns out well.
1: No, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, I am wondering about not to get uh, not to go to Sunday church service right here, but what is the kind of the spiritual state of our country right now? Because it does seem like uh there there's this spiritual as an evangelical world we call it spiritual warfare kind of going on what what's what's happening in this country right now there are forces that clearly want to tear this country apart
6: yeah uh, I, I- Listen, I, I think that's right, but here, here's, here's the thing I'd say to those folks who say, "Well, you shouldn't go all Sunday school on us." Is this is and and that's nice, Bill. The language you're using is nice, but it's not realistic for today's time. Think about the world Jesus was in. Okay, it was a Greek culture, so very antithetical to what Jesus was talking about. It was under Roman military occupation, not a friendly place, and then uh, it was under Jewish religion. So you have these three different worlds colliding. None of them being very friendly to the message that uh, of the New Testament and yet that's the words that, that we're given. And so we can't say you know all that's nice for other things like that that applies to business and my marriage and my raising and raising children, but it doesn't really apply to the political square. I don't think we're left with that option.
1: You know, both sides want to co-opt. Uh, you know, the Bible. Uh, the social yeah. justice folks want to just you know go to Matthew twenty-five and talk about s- compassion all day long, and right. the other side wants to talk about law and order. It seems like we got to have a mix of, of both.
6: Yeah, and think, again, I, I couldn't. I think you nailed it. And so I'd say this: we're we're supposed to be people of truth and love. You know, Paul says, "Speak the truth with love." We're supposed to be people of mercy and justice, not one or the other. You don't want a world that's all justice and no mercy, and you don't want a world that's all mercy and no justice. That's right. As, as people of faith, we understand it, it's both. It's mercy and justice, it's love and truth.
1: Bill Haslam, I'm assuming you can get this book wherever, quote, books are sold, right? Isn't that the standard line?
6: <laughs> that's what they say, and I, and again, I appreciate the opportunity to to be on your show and, and, would, uh, and hope folks will buy the book.
1: Well, thank you, Governor. Once again, the book is Faithful Presence, The Promise and the Peril of Faith in the public square really appreciate your time here on the water cooler today thank you you, you too thanks so much all right great stuff uh, from the great state of tennessee uh, love tennessee uh, they are they're red down there <laughs> they're, they're that's bible belt why am i talking like this i'm from new york we don't talk like this listen you want me to tell you how we talk in new york hey we better put a seven second delay on the water cooler if you know what i'm saying but no uh new york not the bible belt but tennessee is back in a moment with Richard.
3: Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery.
1: Welcome back to The Water Cooler, everybody. We do a lot of big tech censorship uh, stories here on The Water Cooler. And look at this one, uh, just the news headline. Censorship reversal. Try saying that five times fast, by the way. Facebook will no longer spike posts claiming COVID-19 is man-made. In other words, whoops. Are bad. Actually, maybe it was man made. So, all you folks that post on Facebook because we thought you were crazy Pizzagate people, come on back. We're, we're so sorry. Yeah, Mark Zuckerberg. I got you sorry right here, as they say in New York. All right, let's bring in Rick Green, a founder of patriotacademy.com. Uh, Rick, good to see you. I'm sorry, let me. Great to see you.
7: Hey, David, good to see you too, man. I'm coming to you from the great state of Florida where people know how to live in freedom. I'm getting to see smiling faces everywhere. They got the best governor in America. Anyway, I'm in a good mood because I'm in sunny Florida and people are actually smiling at me and I don't have to look at a mask, I get to see their they're pearly whites.
1: That is very nice, actually. That, that's exciting news. All right, so Rick, big tech censorship. So I'm not thinking that was necessarily uh, in the Constitution. I'm not thinking George Washington was on Twitter going, hey, what are we going to do about big tech censorship, like at G-dub uh, or, you know, whatever. So what do you make of uh, co- constitutionally what we're seeing here from Facebook and these folks?
7: Wouldn't King George have loved to be able <laughs> to ban all hashtag independence posts Right. I mean, th- if they had gotten it right in the first place, Facebook would have nothing to apologize for here. <laughs> How about just erring on the side of freedom? How about letting people speak their mind, have debate about issues like this? I'm just wondering whether they're gonna apologize to all the people like me that they banned or, or blocked. I still can't advertise on Facebook simply for questioning the efficacy and the science of masks on children. Uh, you know, So at least they're taking a positive step here. But it's ridiculous how many people they blocked, banned, uh, businesses and organizations that have been ruined because they can no longer advertise or raise revenue or get out to their people. All because Facebook, some social media expert in the background, fact checker in the background, decided that they knew the science better than the scientist and the epidemiologist and the others that questioned these things from the beginning. So let's just err on the side of freedom. Let people speak their mind in a free society. That's would solve all these problems.
1: So, Rick, just so I understand, you so you're you're a victim of this, if you will. You can't you can't advertise because of certain things. Is that what you're saying?
7: Yeah, they banned us, uh, blocked my Facebook page, but uh, you know, actually uh, shut off my wife and a bunch of my staff members. Somehow, they let me keep posting as long as it didn't violate their community standards, which is to speak truth, I guess. Uh, but they'll no longer let me run ads or post to people on you know uh, run uh, boost my post, um, all because. I shared a video of Tony Robbins interviewing an epidemiologist and interviewing a doctor that was on the ground treating COVID and saying, you know, I've got questions about some of these things. This was back in June, and they still, June of last year, and they still will not let me advertise on Facebook. You know, I mean, what happened to the arena of ideas? What happened to, hey, I may disagree with you, but I'll fight and die for your right to be able to say what you actually believe? And these aren't posts that are offensive, foul language or any of that kind of stuff. It's people, it's literally experts actually saying, hey, I've been an epidemiologist. These are top epidemiologists in the world questioning the vaccine or questioning the efficacy of some of the things that we're doing. And that gets banned by Facebook. I mean, you know, it's not, and now some people will say it's not a first amendment issue because this isn't a government. But at this point, I agree with Governor DeSantis. These large big tech companies mm-hmm. have become our utilities. They are the way that people communicate. It's kind of like the roads That's or right. the utility lines, power lines, the phone lines. So speaking of being in Florida, thank you, Governor DeSantis and the Florida legislature. You know They're now going to find Facebook, Twitter, any of these big tech guys that censor you, for simply speaking your mind, saying something that you believe to be true, that you've researched. They're gonna start finding these guys 100,000 yeah. bucks whenever they block like me for simply speaking truth.
1: Yeah, money talks for sure. There was another Just the News headline in the same vein, this Harvard uh, epidemiologist who was locked out from his Twitter account uh, after criticizing masks. Uh, you know, so this goes on and on. Uh, so then the, the constitutional question here is, you know, what's the line, if you will? I mean, you know, you've got government, you've got private business, you've got certain speech that might be, um, you know, uh, violent slash uh, putting people at danger and risk. And then at the same time, you just have opinions that are out there. So, so where, what are the lines here constitutionally, Rick?
7: Well, and, th- and think about what uh, Governor DeSantis said in his press conference yesterday or day before, I forget when it was, whenever they questioned him over this law. Are you just doing a favor to Donald Trump because he's moved to Florida? And he pointed out the fact that, think about the standards Twitter has when they ban the president of the United States, but yet they don't ban Iranians and, and terrorists and others that are calling for the killing of Jews. We're, right. not, we're not gonna ban calls for terrorism But we're going to ban the president for an opinion. We're going to ban a doctor and an epidemiologist for an opinion. So they obviously are no good at making decisions about what to ban and what not to ban. So they need to just stay out of it, be an information highway, and let people block or stop whoever they don't want to listen to and listen to the people that they do want to listen to. Let the market decide instead of these big tech censors. Uh, Who are really in, think about it, they're in concert with big government because they clearly support, they've made it clear that they support the Democrats, they support the big tech censorship, they support the uh, government controlling everybody during during COVID, and so they're in collusion with government, so in many ways it is government, it's the actors for government, it's the brown shirts, if you Mm -hmm. want to put it that way, Mm -hmm. for government silencing any opposition, and that's what fascism is. It's silencing anything that is outside the state. They want everything to be controlled by the state. And that sounds like conspiracy theory. That's just history, man. That's just the way that that folks that want to control other folks, that's the way they think. So they'll use government, they'll use big tech, anything they can to silence you and to silence me.
1: I've got about 30 seconds left or so, but that's where Section 230 comes in, right? There's a lot of folks that want to see Section 230 change, so these, in essence, these uh, social media companies will be treated like utilities. They'll they'll, they'll have to uh, answer for what they're doing here.
7: Yeah, you got you to make a choice here. Either you don't give any government help or, or subsidies or legal protections, in this case, with Section 230, and then as a private entity, you can do what you want to do. But if you're going to accept legal protections and special privileges and all that from government, now you are in some ways a government actor. And therefore, you can no longer pick and choose who you're going to allow to speak on your platform. you got to live up to your promise. Your promise was that you're just an information highway and everybody can come here and say what they believe.
1: Yeah, Rick Green, founder of PatriotAcademy.com. Love having you on. I learned something. And that, look, I appreciate that. Let me just say that. I appreciate
6: it. Thanks, David. God bless you, man.
1: All right. I missed the microphone, by the way. Let me just say, uh, I know he's in Florida, uh, but is there any way, can we get the microphone through TSA? What's the situation on that? Can can we box that thing up? Because that is his signature. It's like Rick Green. And don't don't get the, the, I don't want people to take this the wrong way. I love Rick Green by himself, but the microphone, that's another level. The Last Sip when we come back. Hello, everybody. Time for the last sip. Did the coronavirus come from that lab in Wuhan? The former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo had been saying that for a while. He was on our show a couple of months ago in March, early March, saying that to us as well. I want you to hear his comments in their entirety. At the end of the administration, you seem to be hinting uh, about where this, specifically where this Wuhan uh, virus, this China virus came from, possibly in a lab accidentally or whatever the case may be. Do you still hold that view? So what what are you thinking about that now in terms of evidence that you see?
5: So I actually wrote something that appeared in the Wall Street Journal. I think it was last week, along with Dr. Miles Hu, who worked with me at the State Department. And we outlined a part, the piece that is non-classified, about what we know about where this virus came from. And there's three things that we can say for sure. First, we're very confident that it came from Wuhan, China. Uh, Even the Chinese don't dispute that. We know the actions that were taking place in the Wuhan lab. We know that there's evidence that there were individuals working there that became ill at the end of 2019 and something that had a set of conditions that could well have been the virus that has now spread across the world and killed millions of people. We know that the Chinese Communist Party has prevented anyone from knowing where this originated. Even the WHO investigators who went in were denied the information they needed. Mm -hmm. So with the data and the cover-up, uh, there is ample evidence to make the claim that the Chinese Communist Party owes the world an explanation and to make the case that it didn't come from this laboratory. Yeah.
1: So at this point, you're saying you're, you're not sure either way whether or not it came from this lab?
5: Nope. We don't know for sure, but there's ample evidence and uh, a cover-up that probably is worse than the initial uh, problem set inside the lab that we know, right? We know mm-hmm. we know these Chinese labs that were doing this mm-hmm. bio-research have had escapes before.
4: Mm-hmm.
5: And we know that they were working on things that uh, were of the nature that could have led to this. So we have ample mm-hmm. evidence. We can't say for sure. I'm afraid we may never know for sure, David, mm-hmm. uh, but the Chinese Communist Party must be held accountable for denying the world access to making sure we understand how this happens so that we can prevent something like this from ever happening again.
1: Mike Pompeo with very strong comments here on our show. Look, he had been saying that same type of thing when he was secretary of state. Now we know that there was an investigation. Uh, the Trump administration had that investigation on going into the Wuhan lab uh, and now reports that the Biden administration stopped it. Even though the State Department denies that, we still don't have, uh, other than a blanket denial, we don't have the TikTok the details on all of that. We need that. America needs that, especially on something like this. Back in a moment. Hello, everybody. End of the show. No Anna Perez, no Joe Weber. So guess where we're going? We're going to the border. And it ain't Taco Bell. We're going to Ben Berkwan, uh, who is down uh, there in Texas uh, near the border. And he has been doing some amazing reporting down there. So uh, we want to uh, check in with him as it relates to uh, some of what he's finding down there. Some real interesting stuff. Ben. Hey David,
2: uh, incredible day yesterday. We're down here in Uvalde, uh, just down the road. We went down to the border yesterday in Del Rio. Uh, we're here with a friend of mine, Mike Miller from uh, warriorsforranchers.com. Uh, he's a rancher down here, a hunting, he runs a hunting ranch. He had to shut down Rancho Rio Lindo because of the amount of illegal traffic and cartel activity on his property. And we actually went down to see the border yesterday. The worst part, David, is it It seems to only be getting worse. And when I spoke to the sheriff down there and spoke to law enforcement, uh, the look of desperation in their face, there's nothing they can do about it. Uh, Until this administration, until Washington has enough pressure put on them to do something, this is only going to get worse. And the worst part is it's affecting every single person in this country. We're taking money out of your pocket and your family's pocket and putting it into people who have no business being here in the first place and into the cartel's pocket.
1: Ben Berkwam there at the border, I tell you what, he has done some terrific reporting uh, from down there. And look, you have now Republicans, uh, Republican Andy Biggs uh, coming out uh, talking about how Senator, Senator, excuse me, Homeland uh, Secretary Mayorkas should resign. Why does he say that? Because Mayorkas actually said just recently that the border is closed. Hey, how does the Homeland Secretary get this wrong? It's not closed. Has he looked at a graph, you know, a graph that goes to boom? the voom is the crisis. There is a crisis at the border. And this idea, do they really think the American people are stupid? I mean, the answer is yes. I mean, clearly the answer is yes. Uh, the, the border's not closed. It's open for business. Even though the Biden administration wants you to believe it's closed, the Biden administration also wants you to believe that there is no crisis uh, out there as well. And we know that just is not the case. All right. Tomorrow on the show, uh, a big show for for us tomorrow. Uh, Russ Vogt, the former OMB director, will be here. Look, the Biden budget is coming out uh, today and into tomorrow. With a lot of details to sift through. So Russ Vogt will be here. Also, Rick Santorum. I've known Rick for a long time, the former senator from Pennsylvania, who was a CNN analyst for a while, a CNN contributor, uh, got fired by CNN. He will be on this show tomorrow to talk about his experience. It's going to be a good one. See you tomorrow, everybody.